Welcome to the Biohackers Live Show. My name is Teemu Arena. Today, my guest is Kasper van der Meulen from the Netherlands. And he's a science teacher and best-selling author of a great book called Mindlift. He has a background in education and teaching science. And uh, he's pretty awesome when it comes to breeding techniques also, because he trained under Wim Hof, and he's been one of the top uh, experts on uh, breeding techniques and um, he has also tested countless diets and biohacks and he's really someone who's going into the trenches and figuring out what works when we want to improve our health performance and well-being and today we will be talking about how you can manage your daily energy levels so we have just so many hours of the day and when it comes to really kind of getting to the roots of uh, what makes you perform on a day-to-day basis. Kasper has definitely done a lot of hacks on himself. Um, the way how he looks today compared to what how he looked like 10 years ago, he's a completely different person from the inside out. And uh, many of us go through personal struggle uh, and transformation um, from the core uh, of our spirit to our body, to our mind, um, and come back to share with others uh what can be done and uh we can definitely learn from them and Casper is one of them Casper is also speaking at the biohacker summit on the first and second of november and uh he's a dear friend of mine um definitely someone who is present and ready to share with anyone who's ready to listen and read for sure so without further ado i'll just invite Casper to the show Welcome, Casper. Uh, tell me about your morning routines. How, how did you wake up t- today? And uh, what have you been up to? Ways to move and supplements and all this stuff that I want to just add stuff to my life and add stuff and add stuff, which worked. It's amazing, of course. A lot of fun. And recently, I've been going more of an intuitive route. Um, when people talk about like performance and energy levels and stuff like that, um, it's easy to forget that you don't always need to be in performance mode. And I'm, I'm actually in a phase of my life where I'm going into creation mode. I'm creating some projects, um, developing new ideas to speak about, developing new teaching methods, a lot of cool new stuff. And I've noticed that it's uh, good for me to kind of take away uh, some of the routines that I've been doing for a long time. So I have a very, I have like the most basic morning routine or daily routine that I've had in a long time. Uh, and I've actually switched my a lot of the attention to my morning routine to my evening routine. I used to really focus on my morning and starting the day off right. And now I notice that if I spend more of that energy, if I invest that same attention into my evening routine, I have a much better night. And then I wake up feeling fresh and uh, I'm ready to uh, kick ass. So it's kind of like I always switch things around and change things up. This morning I slept in, which has been, I've been practicing sleeping in. Because I realized that I was unable to sleep in. So I would be up at 6.30 every morning, ready to go, ready to kick ass. And I would be, like wake up in sympathetic mode, basically. And then at some point, I had the opportunity to sleep in, and I had a day off. And then I realized I couldn't. And I was like, hmm, that's, that's an interesting point about my nervous system. Apparently, I have been in high performance for so long that I'm having a hard time switching out of it. So I've actually been making a conscious practice out of um, uh, sleeping longer, getting better at sleeping in. And also, after I wake up, for example, um, I have way different routines. I used to do types of breathing 
types of movement that would like get me energized. I drink a bunch of coffee. Now I do a very, very slow, a few checks on my breathing to see whether I'm in the right zone, whether I'm recovered well, to check my aura ring data, um, to see whether, so what I do is I do a meditation and a breathing check first, then I check that with my aura data. I don't want to get hung up on the data. Uh, it usually checks out pretty well. And then instead of coffee, I make the cow. Yeah. Back to Munich. So at Flowfest, uh, we met and you told me that you've been dialing down your uh, lifetime addiction to coffee and somehow you started appreciating cacao more. So coffee seems to be kind of overriding, you know, stimulants like cacao in your system. So you don't really see the real, real potential in it. So now that you have dialed down uh, coffee and you're instead on on cacao like what's your experience on on just using cacao alone to start your day well interestingly i've never noticed that cacao was a stimulant i just had no idea because i was always on caffeine and there's a lot of things like that that i that i realized i didn't know anymore so it's kind of like the the the, the sympathetic the performance the you know uh, kind of like high effective let's say frequencies or bandwidth of life, they are more loud and more present than the calmer states and the more subtle parts of life. And all of them have their place and have their thing. And for me, for the longest time, it was just so useful to always be switched on and to go and to go and to go. And now actually what I noticed with cacao, it doesn't actually feel like a stimulant very much, but it has a much more interesting, um, it, it helps with a, with a state shift in a much more interesting way where coffee is like you get your coffee, you know exactly what you're getting, your heart rate's up, your sympathetic, boom, boom, boom. And with cacao, and I notice like I, I really take a moment, I have almost have like a mini cacao ceremony every morning where I'm very conscious of making it, you know, I smell it. I, um, uh, I sit down and I really try to feel what state it's giving me. So I'm trying to be very conscious with it. And one thing that I found that it does is it gives me more of a body awareness type of uh, attention and focus than an outward task focus attention. Right. And that's something that I really need right now. So for mm. it's with uh, coffee, for example, you get into this mental high with all these external tasks that suddenly are interesting. You can keep going. With cacao, I just find that it increases my uh, my body awareness a bit more. So it's, I, I get focus and I get attention. But it, it remains myself a bit more, and it's less jittery, which I, I really like. Mm. Uh, so cacao has something called uh, anandamid. Anandamid, basically um, ananda, coming from um, uh, ananda, who lived in the fi- uh, 5th and 4th century BC. He was the primary attendant of the Buddha, one of his 10 uh, principal disip- disciples. And... Um, so Ananda has been linked to the sense of bliss. So Ananda Mead, when they discovered this uh, transmitter in our bodies, they uh, they immediately associated that with the with a blissful feeling. And you get uh, it's a um, in the G, uh, it's it's basically produced in our body, and it is released in small quantities. For example, in runners' high. So when you are going through that threshold of pain and suddenly you feel pretty good and you could go for forever that's when anandamid which is uh, endocan it's part of the endocannabinoid system so it's kind of uh, it's it's helping with pain management uh, so it, it pushes the pain away a little bit and uh, gives 
space um, uh, to enjoyment and joy. And uh, Anandamid is definitely one of the key components in cacao, in my opinion, uh, why we feel also that it's kind of heart-centered, that cacao has been linked to love and content, um, not just only because of the vasodilation that uh, Theobromine uh, Theo from God and um, is, is producing, which is uh, axanthin, also like uh, caffeine, but has a longer um, half-life. So compared to coffee, which is four to six hours, cacao is like six or eight to ten hours. So you get longer buzz from it, and, and there's all these synergistic compounds in it. Um, but definitely, if you put into your system uh, something that um, stimulates your sympathetic nervous system even more, you don't necessarily see or can appreciate anandamide doing its job there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you and me, I guess we are kind of hyperactive, uh, highly stimulated human beings, and sometimes more stimulation is not really good. It kind of pushes more into anxiety and uh, nervousness, uh, while some agents that are, uh, let's say, more rounded or balanced in their stimulation and, and maybe even kind of uh, bring down some of the anxiety component, like maybe it could be with theanine or it could be with anandamide. That's kind of where, where the sweet spot is. Um, so there yeah, is some, well, some information. Really about, that, about that nervous system perspective, if you consider uh, the, the different states that we have at our disposal as humans, there's a lot of different states that we have. And the things you were saying, like vasoconstriction, which is what caffeine does, for example, uh, being I, highly... Uh, the di dilation, you mean? The dilation. No, caffeine. Caffeine does uh, vasoconstriction. Coffee I, is a vasoconstriction. Ah, so it, it, it and, compresses the uh, cardiovascular system. Yes, and, I and see. cacao mm. is a vasodilation. Actually, this is I, mm. I learned this on a mountaintop when uh, I was out training in the cold and uh, somebody had really uh, cold hands and there was this genius who had brought raw cacao up to the mountain and he was giving out cacao and he was in the meantime he was like one of those cacao nerds that you have like you meet cacao people they're like I'm, I'm starting to turn into a cacao snob and he was making this whole point about cacao being a vasodilator not all the caffeine caffeine mm. is not necessarily a vasoconstrictor like yerba mate for example has a more vasodilatory uh, aspect oh that's that's great it, info like, so, for example, uh, the uh, sympathetic, so vasoconstriction um, is, uh, it, 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 it literally constricts your body in a way, you know, and it, it's interesting if you look at the different states. I, I love that you mentioned bliss, because bliss is one of those states that is not, um, doesn't have a place in modern day society, right? So, coffee is... If you look at all the drugs that are legal in most countries, they are drugs that make you very functional, <laughs> like they make you productive, like caffeine, or they make you stupid, you know, like uh, alcohol. And most people have a beautiful loop of being productive on coffee for five days, being stupid on alcohol for two days, and then going back to work and being productive again, right? It's very, it's a very like, um, it's, it's a loop that works um, if you own a factory, for example. Um, so the point is that if you look at the, the different triggers that you can add, to your system and how your nervous system responds, then uh, choosing the right triggers for the state that you need is a very important thing. So a lot of people experience less joy and less bliss in their daily life because they don't see, feel to have a function for it. It's the same thing why, uh, for example, learning to breathe slowly, to come back to the topic of breathing, is something that is very uncharming and very uninteresting to most people 
because uh, it gets you into a different state, right? And cannabis is actually one of the best things you can do. So states like bliss, like like ecstasy, like uh, flow, flow is getting more and more popular, are uh, in modern day society kind of pushed under being productive and high performance. And, and this is even something that I've been noticing in the biohacking scene that like five or six years ago, everybody was about elite performance, high performance, optimal performance. Mm. Now people are more like, oh wait, shit, I've been elite performing for four years. Uh, how do I calm myself down? So it's making these tiny tweaks, like switching from coffee to cacao. Like one thing, people, there's a lot of people I speak to who want to uh, stop drinking coffee. And then I usually say, well, if you switch to cacao, it's there's far less withdrawal uh, from that. You know, So it's just one of those things that have changed. And I think and you're probably the same. And I think a lot of people in the biohacking scene are. I have these micro obsessions. So I just... I just find a new field of interest and I get completely obsessed into it. I want to know everything about it. I learn all the tricks, all the skills, all the techniques down to the biochemistry. And that's kind of like, I'm on a, I'm on a cacao run like that. I have, and I have mm. a few topics. Like I had the same thing with like CO2 where I realized, Oh shit, CO2 is the thing. Um, and, but I even have it with stuff, random stuff like juggling uh, torches or knife throwing or, you know, learning how to play a new musical instrument. But, um, that those micro obsessions usually give me, you know, a month of, of a lot of good information and learning. So let's jump into, you know, CO2, nervous system, breathing, uh, uh, cardiovascular system, respiratory system. Um, as a science teacher, when you met Wim Hof, you, um, you kind of, uh, put it in science terms, what's happening there. And you were able to communicate it in a way that perhaps, uh, Wim Hof himself was not, uh, yet capable of so so you 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 both work together to kind of uh, uh, kind of bring out the foundations. Wim uh, is a very humble guy. He's not saying that uh, these breathing techniques that he's doing that he's somehow unique. That he says that everyone can learn these things and it's basic physiology. And uh, you can really kind of communicate really well the physiological side, like how it's possible that someone can expose themselves to extreme cold temperature or stress or injected uh, venom um, to support their immune system through breathing techniques and all that. Like, I mean, all the different traditions of, uh, of, of yogic traditions, meditation practice where they use breathing techniques, you can kind of, uh, whatever you call it, pranayama, uh, uh, fire breathing, whatever, um, when, you, when you kind of put those in science terms, what's happening there, uh, can you maybe guide us through uh, what's going on in the human body when we breathe and how through voluntary control we can actually influence our autonomic nervous system? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there which you just said. So yeah, first of all, um, my first encounter with breathing techniques was when I was a science teacher in school. I was working with like, 13 to 16 year olds and they had a lot of issues with anxiety especially uh performance anxiety so for example we would have a test and then before the test i would see kids just panicking i could see it in their body like their eyes were open and their shoulders were pulled up and they were breathing fast and i didn't know what to do with it and that was my early my early stages of biohacking where i started first researching like i can how can i hack their stress response because the stress response is not the right state to enter into a test with. If you're in a test, you need to have self-awareness because you need to be able to access stored information in your brain. If you're in a hyper um, sympathetic state, the anxious state, you hardly have any awareness 
because you only want to be in action mode, which you can't use there, so the stress only amplifies. Actually, one of the first hacks that I tried is I read about, so I started getting into this, right? This took seven years ago. I started getting way into this, and I have a lot of experience earlier in my life with anxiety and panic attacks and chronic stress, uh, like really, really bad stuff. I've been on medication for it. I've got diagnosis. All of that was luckily pretty quickly off the table. Um, so one thing that I researched was, for example, um, uh, adrenaline and cortisol. And then I realized that, oh, wait, so if you have oxytocin, you shut off uh, adrenaline. So what I did before I learned about breathing was, for example, kids would walk into my science class for a test, like a, like a physics test, which is very high cognitive. And then before the test would start, I would have this YouTube um, like compilation of cutest puppies and kittens on the projector screen. And I would uh, play that and I'd have them look at that for three minutes until I saw them like, ah, calm down like that and their faces lighten up. And then we start the test. And that worked pretty well. So I was like, yes, I'm hacking the class with you. And um, which is my main thing. And then I learned about, uh, uh, like I read this study because I was way into brain performance and cognitive stuff. So I read this study that says that the brain, uh, the heart rate, so the brain, breath, and the heart rate, they communicate, they always work together. If you slow down your breath, you slow down your heart rate, your brain will calm down. Um, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. Let's let's test that. So I started trying that just at home, and I realized, like, oh, yeah, I can actually kind of calm down my heart rate through lengthening my exhale. Um, and then the next time I, I saw a kid freaking out before a test, basically what I did, I was like, all right, look at me and just do what I do. And I started lengthening my exhale and breathing out. And then they started joining me, right? And then the heart rate calmed down. And they were actually fine. So I was like, whoa, there's something there. And I was already in the process of writing my book then. And I started learning, testing these breathing techniques, exploring more. And then pretty quickly, I found uh, Wim Hof, who was, you know, is local in the Netherlands. And I started training with him, learning from him, and later on working together. As you said, uh, man is absolutely wonderful to work with. Uh, like a, He's just like out there the whole time. He's in this heightened state. He's connecting. His heart is open beautiful and he developed this method and what I like about the Wim Hof method in specific is that it combines basically um, all elements that you can do in a breathing practice right so if you consider breathing you have nose breathing mouth breathing chest diaphragm you have in you have out you have holding it in holding it out those are the basic ingredients of breathing and what he's done is that that's the first technique that I found that incorporated all of those into a, a very specific routine so that's Part of the power of the Wim Hof method is that it, it triggers, and you know, of course, and the power is also that there's all these scientific studies that are now showing how powerful it is in so many different settings. Uh, but the cool thing is that I, I pretty quickly um, could see how it worked because I had been studying basic physiology. And this is something in, from a biohacking perspective that I always tell people that on the level of the, you have like why, how, and what, right? So on the level of what, you have all these techniques and all these principles, and that's great. You need techniques and principles and protocols. But below that, there's always a layer of principles and uh, kind of the how and why things work. And if you study the how and why, because I was teaching basic breathing physiology for years in the classroom, right? I was just like, you know, these are the lungs. These are the bronchi, the bronchioli. This is how oxygen works. This is how CO2 works. This is why we breathe. This is, you know, the acid cycle. This is how the mitochondria work. That was my job, you know. I was a, a science teacher, biology teacher mainly. Uh, so that was how, that was what I was doing. And the funny thing is that we never learn. In, so we learn biology in school, but we don't learn how to apply the science of biology to our life. And that's why I have called myself a biohacker, because basically biohacking is the art of applying the 
the science of biology to daily life, you know, which is what I love about the Biohacker Handbook uh, that you've currently written. Um, it basically reads like a biology book, and then it says, this is how you apply it to your life. That's what I love about it so much. So basically, if you get down to the core biology, the core principles, and this goes the same thing for every field, like for example, in nutrition, you have all these diets and all these methods and all these ways of eating and protocols, but at the core level, you have human physiology and the way that nutrition interacts with human physiology. But the, the field of nutrition is actually much more vast, much more complicated, um, uh, because it interacts with all of our systems in such an intricate way. And breathing is a much more simple thing to explain at a core level than, for example, nutrition or movement. And that's why I love breathing so much as a teaching tool, because you, I can kind of get in front of a room uh, for 30 people uh, for 30 uh, minutes and explain to a crowd of people how and why breathing is so profound, because it's that simple. You have in, out, you have chest, belly, very simply said, you know, you have nose, you have mouth, you have CO2, you have oxygen, nitric oxide. Like there's only a handful of ingredients with which you can really access all the different uh, functions of breathing. So for one example, if you take a, um, a nervous system perspective, where you have a sympathetic and a parasympathetic function, the sympathetic is the fight flight, you know, as a hunter gatherer, it's outside of your cave, it's your, you're gathering food, you're finding prey, you're protecting your territory, all this stuff. And then in the parasympathetic function, you get into your cave and you basically you recover and you make sure that, uh, you know, that you have your fire, you eat, you sleep, all those things. Right. So if so. you look at a very simple overview of breathing in the sympathetic outside of the cave system, what you need is a lot of energy, which means you need to breathe faster, get more oxygen, your blood needs to flow to transport the oxygen, your liver actually produces or, you know, triggered by cortisol or possibly adrenaline, a little bit of dopamine, like this is a nice hormonal cocktail when you get into sympathetic, um, triggers you to uh, uh, the liver, for example, releases more glucose. So, and then you have oxygen plus glucose creates ATP as energy. You know, it all makes sense. You're still breathing faster, your senses heighten, you have more energy, you feel like going out there and doing it. Um, which means that you can actually see breathing function in the sympathetic system very basically as um, mouth breathing, like the most sympathetic function is mouth breathing, uh, chest breathing. So <gasps> into the chest is like the most sympathetic thing you can have is <gasps> that kind of like hyperventilation, just ultra like way up there and sympathetic if you're in a panic attack, for example. Uh, focus on the inhale, right, and fast. So that's way on the top of the spectrum of sympathetic breathing. And then way down the spectrum of parasympathetic what you should breathe like when you wake up, which is nose breathing, diaphragm breathing. So your belly moves very slowly, or you hardly even, if you look at a child sleeping, you hardly even see breathing movement. That's the most perfect breathing there is. Uh, so nose, um, a bit longer exhale, um, and slow breathing. So that's the most parasympathetic. And just those like eight ingredients um, on different sides of the spectrum give you all the tools that you need to move yourself along the spectrum through breathing. And that's why I'm so excited about understanding physiology. If we dive into parasympathetic and sympathetic um, tone, uh, there is, <coughs> you can basically, uh, in to my understanding, the way how you can activate parasympathetic nervous system and rest and digest is by extending your out breath. And this is what I personally do consciously uh, when I want to down a little bit, uh, get some creative work done, or I want to feel better in my body. So I just consciously double 
the exhalation. So I might start with one second in, two second out, then I go for two second in and four second out. I might uh, also hold my breath uh, in the beginning and end of that. And uh, to my understanding, that stimulates um, parasympathetic tone. So what's going on in a state like that? Well, the thing is that your body needs to be in the right state to do the right thing. So you will naturally perform the right action if you're in the right state. That's the most important thing. So for example, one of my favorite kind of like breathing hacks for daily energy that I tell people is to replace a stimulant moment with a breathing moment. So for example, you have your four o'clock uh, uh, or five o'clock dip where you feel like you're low on energy and you should do more work. And you feel like you should do more work, but you're like tired from whatever your uh, lunch or you're uh, completely uh, exhausted or you, whatever, you know, like at the end of the day, you need two hours of more energy can't get those two hours. A lot of people experience this. Then what most people do, so that basically you've been in a sympathetic function all day, and then your body is starting to wind down. Then what most people do is instead of allowing themselves to wind down, they actually go for the stimulants or the sugar. So they take, for example, an extra shot of caffeine, or they take like a double espresso, they take, you know, their uh, their candy bar, and they're using that, that stimulant as a trigger, as a, an attempt to go back into the sympathetic and go back into productive, active mode. Um, and the funny thing is that we forget that in order to access the sympathetic system, we need the parasympathetic system. So action and rest is like yin and yang. They need each other. So you can't have contraction without relaxation. So one of my favorite things to tell people is instead of having your four or five o'clock, uh, let's say, uh, stimulant or double espresso, your can of energy drink, your sugary snack, Instead of that, you do a breathing technique or even like take a breathing technique into a five-minute nap, which is my favorite thing ever. A lot of people say I can't nap. Well, if you like, you just said slow down your breathing, you can get into the napping zone within five minutes and then four or five minutes. And from there, you can actually reactivate and get back into your active state because you allowed yourself to calm down. And this is something that a lot of people don't, have never learned is that they want to attain a state and they want to keep a state. But what, you, what we need to relearn is in order to attain a state, we need to go to the opposite state and then come back. So also, for example, people who have trouble digesting their lunch, if you come out of a meeting, you're stressed, you're in a hurry, you quickly you know, have your lunch in between meetings in the car while you're in a traffic jam, whatever, you're still in sympathetic. And your digestive organs are suppressed. The function of your digestive organs are suppressed um, in uh, sympathetic mode so your body isn't ready for digestion so you can eat your optimal whatever you know super healthy kale salad but your body won't be ready to digest and then you get this really then that means that the, the food becomes the parasympathetic trigger and that starts to calm you down because you have to and then you get this after dinner dip and you can't reactivate and your lunch ends up costing you energy and it doesn't give you energy like this whole cascade happens. and all you need to do is before you have the lunch is wind down into parasympathetic, slow down your breathing, slow down your heart rate, wait until your eyes go into staring mode, your senses get less active, and then you eat, and then suddenly digestion is a much simpler process for the body that you can actually do. So those are just a few ways, like you just said, when you want to calm down, go to your breath first. Right. So uh, then going to the sympathetic nervous system side of things, 
if I'm uh, doing something like fire breathing, where I'm kind of simulating uh, going up a mountain. So I would be going like, <laughs> this is something that, uh, I mean, gives me a lot of energy, a lot of self-confidence. Um, it, it's somehow like um, I, I feel powerful. And uh, that is a technique. Sometimes I also use to ground myself if I'm, uh, if, if I'm anxious or something like this. I'm kind of overriding that signal with uh, a breathing technique like that. And uh, also I get a little bit dizzy if I do that for a while. Uh, and I really like to do kind of uh, breath holds after, uh, like lungs empty and lungs full after a session like that. And I feel pretty good going on stage, for example, to give a presentation or uh, let's say conduct an interview like this. So I, I think my verbal um, abilities also increase a little bit when I do, do stuff like that. So to my understanding, what I'm doing there is I'm activating my sympathetic nervous system. If you start breathing like that, like you just exampled um, uh, fire breath or any kind of like a more sympathetic active breathing, your body will also automatically assume that there is a reason to breathe faster and it will give you the sympathetic function. And this is where the magic happens in breathing and controlling the autonomous systems is that yes, a state of mind and body produces a state of breath, but a state of breath also produces a state of mind and body and your body has to respond to your breathing first. Always it has to respond to your breathing first. So in that way, breathing is more powerful than whatever mindset or positive thinking because it's a physiological trigger. Uh, survival situation or there is something going wrong or you're in a workout, whatever. You need to start breathing faster first, right, right away because your body needs the oxygen. So we haven't learned that it also works the other way around. So if you change your breathing, your body also has to follow up. So for example, something scary happens, let's say you're a hunter gatherer, you have to run away from a tiger or whatever, right? What you need to do is you need to breathe through your mouth, you need to use your chest, you need to run, you need to be active, all the senses open because you're running from a tiger. But right, if you start breathing like that, like you just exampled um, uh, like fire breath or any kind of like more sympathetic active breathing, your body will also automatically assume that there is a reason to breathe faster and it will give you the sympathetic function. And this is where the magic happens in breathing and controlling the autonomous systems is that, yes, a state of mind and body produces a state of breath, but a state of breath also produces a state of mind and body. And your body has to respond to your breathing first. Always it has to respond to your breathing first. So in that way, breathing is more powerful than whatever mindset or positive thinking because it's a physiological trigger. As soon as you limit your breathing by a breath hold or by slowing down your breathing, you're basically telling your nervous system, listen, this is all the oxygen you're gonna get. So it's basically announcing that there's gonna be cutbacks. Like, listen, body, you're not getting any more. And then there's two options. Either you start breathing faster and freaking out about it, or the body's like, okay, less oxygen. Oh, wait, that means less energy. That means that we need to calm down the heart rate. That means that we need to stop the cortisol because we can't keep pumping glucose into the blood, right? Because uh, we don't have enough oxygen to use that glucose. Which also, by the way, means that if you have cravings for sugar, it's usually, a, a lot of it could be, there's a lot of reasons why people crave sugar, but one of them could be 
that you are asking sympathetic function from your body. If you then slow down your breathing, you will have less sugar cravings. So a lot of people actually start eating less if they start breathing more optimally because they become more efficient with their oxygen and they don't need as much sugar, right? So there's all these systems that interplay. The main thing is here is that as soon as you change your breathing, your body has to follow because the first thing that your body is completely dependent on is oxygen before anything else. Like so before food, before sunlight, before whatever. Like you can go for whatever, 60 days without food, 20 days without water. Um, but you can't go for more than a minute without breathing. Unless, of course, you practice breath holds. It can be longer, but still, you can maybe get it to five or ten minutes. But, you know, it's, a, it's, it's the first thing you need. What is the benefit of increasing your oxygen intake and uh, ability to uh, hold your breath, uh, and maybe your lung capacity? So kind of uh, working that en envelope a little bit wider like what's the benefit of that like that you're not on a narrow band but you can expand to a broadband when it comes to access to oxygen well it's a very simple thing so basically intermittent hypoxia which is one of my favorite words uh, hypoxia means uh, lack of oxygen intermittent means basically temporary um, so if you face your body with lower amounts of oxygen consciously in a training setting It is basically a hormetic trigger. So her her hormetic trigger meaning that you face your body with a challenge. And in response to the challenge, if it's applied correctly, the body will adapt and become stronger because of the challenge. And this is what I love, by the way, about this, all this biohacking stuff is that I get to be a biology teacher again and talk about hormesis and stuff like that. It's my, like one of my favorite topics recently is to study hormesis because there's not actually that many hormetic triggers that, Uh, work, but you need them all very much. So everybody knows if an athlete goes to train at altitude, they come back with a better ability to use oxygen because they have been, been faced with less oxygen. So the body just goes, oh shit, less oxygen, let's adapt. And the adaptability, the anti-fragility of the human body is the key to health. So anti-fragility meaning resilience, the ability for Um, our body to adapt to challenges, that is one of the most fundamental keys to health. And it's one that we have been running away from in the modern world for ages. And now the rise of things like Tough Mudder, ultra running, marathon running, um, you know, exhaustion things, but also, you know, the Wim Hof method, doing ice baths and, and holding your breath and all this stuff. This is one of the most important things to human health because we've taken away all the challenges from our system. And as soon as we start challenging the system, it will get stronger because we are an anti-fragile system, but only if you know how to do it correctly, right? But there's also people who take it too far and they damage themselves, uh, which is also a very like profound human function um, that we are very good at as a species is to overdo things, at least in the modern world. Um, so the whole idea is if you limit oxygen from the, your body, it, it has a reason to be better at using oxygen. So you will be more efficient. Now, In the biohacker scene, in the, let's say, lifestyle health, preventative health scene, every doctor, every scientist, every expert you meet will tell you that basically all modern diseases, right? So let's say 95% of all diseases um, have to do with chronic inflammation. But it, what's behind chronic inflammation is 
uh, suboptimal mitochondrial function. Mitochondrial function is dependent on oxygen and, you know, sunlight, protein folding, like very like core aspects of human health. Uh, and oxygen is a, a huge one, right? If the, if the mitochondrium doesn't have enough oxygen present, it will not be able to optimally utilize the glucose to produce ADP. It will have to go into um, uh, anaerobic combustion, right? And it will become, uh, it will produce more acidity. Like all oh, this whole cascade happens. And this is something where to tie all of that together, if you practice with breath holding, like for example, in the Wim Hof method, uh, there's, there's many ways to do it. If you limit the amount of oxygen in your body, if you start uh, only using nose breathing during your training, what will happen is your body will get better at using oxygen, which means that you at your cellular mitochondrial level will have more oxygen available in every cell at every moment, which means that at a cellular level, you will perform better and all of life's functions will improve. Like that's kind of like the core idea of it. Oh shit, I went oh, deep there. Right. Oh yeah, wow. that's what we need for sure. Kaka to bring us deeper into the topic. So uh, <laughs> when it comes to uh, inc- uh, comes, comes to the ability to increase your oxygen utilize, utilization, that's definitely one. Uh, the other aspect that I kind of find in modern lifestyle, especially when people work in front of their computers, is that the breathing is pretty shallow, that there's a lot of stale air and they don't use their lungs full capacity and um so do you personally when you do your work do you consciously use your breathing uh let's say maybe deeper or diaphragm based uh or 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 breathing into your belly like what kind of techniques do you use like consciously um or or do you just let things go and uh, does it become subconscious that you're able to use your lungs in a in a more fuller way, for example, through exposing yourself to cold temperatures and so on. At least in my case, morning showers and cold showers seem to seem to make things easier throughout the day. I noticed that I'm hyperventilating less when I get stressed. Yeah, for sure. And the same thing is for exercise. I mean, those are the ultimate, I mean, temperature, gravity, oxygen, sunlight. Those are kind of like the main things that biology has been playing with for all of evolution, right? So those are the things you want to interact with. Um, temperature, gravity, oxygen, sunlight. Uh, just like pillars. The, so to get back to the practical part, if I open my laptop and I'm about to go into, so I use the, well, it's, it's mainly known as the Pomodoro technique, but I have a lot of variations of it. So I work basically with intermittent focus. So uh, with intervals. Uh, I usually have 20 or 30 minutes, or let's say I, I look at my emails, I go, shit, this is about 40 minutes of emails. Okay, let's set a timer for 30 and create that little pressure mini deadline to uh, actually get it done in 30. So I don't waste my time doing emails that are unimportant to me. Right. We so used, we used that, what I do um, then. Oh, sorry to interrupt. We, we actually yeah. had a discussion about the Pomodoro technique and the intermittent uh, at focused attention with Boomer Anderson. So if anyone is interested, in, in details, how to do that practically, uh, check out that episode. It's on the Barker Summit yeah. YouTube channel. Yeah, continue. And it also really depends on what I need. So if it's specific tasks, I need intervals like that in order to keep my brain fresh. If I do creative work or consumptive work, I am a, I am a chaotic learner, right? So I learn in all directions at the same time. 
So I need to have like a full day open without any intervals, without anything time with like um, my living room as a giant whiteboard. I have like notes everywhere and I go into mad scientist mode and just like, you know, and there's no intervals and there's no need for it because I'm 100% in that moment, in that flow state of creation for the whole day. But it's a different state. The point is what I do before I uh, start my uh, task is I open my laptop, look at it. And okay, so I'm going to spend 30 minutes. And then first I go... Breathe into my nose and then breathe out and then wait. I just give myself however long it takes before I get the breathing stimulus. And the end of the exhale, which is called the retention, that's a very calm space to be in. So as soon as I open my laptop, I'm like, if you even look at the emails you're about to answer, your brain is already starting to formulate answers and like going. So I, I create like a pause moment. Breathe out, wait bring my attention to myself, nose breathe and start into it. The main thing that people do is not necessarily, well, they also speed up their breathing, but they also start doing this or that, or they lift up their chest or their shoulders. And that's a, a very uh, suboptimal thing um, when you are doing work, because basically you're in a chair, you are sedentary, your brain is active, but still you are not supposed to use a lot of energy in that state. So as people work and they get stressed, their shoulders start to creep up. They're, they start to lose function over their core muscles, which is a big issue with sitting down on your ass all day. I mean, uh, there's nothing necessarily wrong with sitting down, but sitting in the same position the whole day is the kind of like, and breathing and movement. Whenever I talk about breathing, I have to talk about movement because it's the same thing. Breathing is the most fundamental movement we do. But if you, for example, sit down on a chair, especially if you have like a fancy ergonomic chair, it, it takes away gravity. So your butt stops working, right? So you can't use your glutes, which means that usually people, they can't actually use their, uh, so they, they misalign their pelvic bone. They can't use their pelvic floor, which means they can't use their diaphragm, which means they can't access their core muscles, which means everything below the diaphragm basically goes floppy, which means their organs aren't even moving with their breath. You have to realize the diaphragm, like the diaphragm is right here. It's like this muscle plate and it is connected through uh, fascia to all of your organs. So every time you breathe deep, you're massaging all of your organs, right? So that means that digestion is helped by all this. So if you sit down behind the laptop and you collapse your posture, you get this thing going on, right? And you start moving like you basically have these people who start basically growing into this shape. They can't actually access their diaphragm, their pelvic floor. They, they have misaligned, like all these issues, which means that their shoulders have to start compensating. They start pulling up, they start breathing shallow. If you would draw out your lungs on your chest, you would see that they are kind of like bottles that are narrow at the top and they widen down there. So that means that if you're breathing up here, most people are not accessing that full lung depth, which means they don't get enough oxygen, which means they need to start breathing more, which means they open their mouth. You get that look, that whole thing behind the laptop, which means they start breathing faster. And every time you, you, they start chronically hyperventilating, you, you're not using the filter of your nose anymore. So this is whole cascade. Hmm. Uh, that comes with desk work. Can, me, can, I, can I interrupt you for a second? So yeah. when I do all of that, uh, or someone who's listening, and starts to breathe um, basically more breaths per minute, uh, the breath is also linked to heart rate. So that means your heart rate goes up. And resting heart rate is uh, lower. Resting heart rate is an indicator of longevity. So you start to use your cardiovascular system 
more. And um, I also wonder, could that also transition to some learned behavior that you might be doing throughout the night so that your uh, resting heart rate throughout the night also might be elevated because of all the shallow breathing you've been doing all day long. So when yeah. you when you kind of regain your uh, diagram diagram and start to breathe in a deeper way, um, activating more also the parasympathetic nervous system, is that also transitioning to 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 kind of subconscious breathing patterns that might go through the day when you don't really realize you're breathing or also when you're sleeping. One hundred percent, yeah. So the thing is. It's another beautiful biological principle. Form adapts to function, right? So if you ask for a certain function, your body will create the form to produce that function better, which means you get more of the function, which means you get more of the form. So if you are in a sympathetic state, even though you're sitting down, so you're basically you're doing nine hours of desk work, you're kind of stressed, you're breathing into your mouth, into your chest, your shoulder is pulled up, you're not accessing your diaphragm, all this stuff, right? Your heart rate is elevated which means you have more need for oxygen, which means you start breathing more. So it's kind of like a, it's a, well, it's an upward spiral in terms of how fast you breathe and a downward spiral in health. Then you sit down on the couch at night because you feel like you don't have enough energy. So you have the exact same thing. If you're sitting down on the couch and you're out of breath, it means you're in fucking bad shape. And these people, they don't even look like they're out of shape. Then you go to bed, you have the same thing because you have this form and this function completely built into your system, which means you're breathing elevated. If you're have elevated breathing, what that means is your body is in a relatively sympathetic state, which means that is you're not in the state for sleep. So a lot of people, they don't reach deep sleep well enough because they're sleeping with kind of like one eye open in a sense, because their body is still, you know, answering emails and like worrying about deadlines in their sleep, basically. One thing that I love about this whole approach of biohacking is this systematic approach where as soon as I got my aura ring, actually this year, um, I, when the, so I used to have really bad pollen allergies and my body still wants to respond to pollen. So I have had like, uh, at least 12 years of my life I've smoked. I've always had a stuffed nose. I've had pollen allergies for like five to six months out of the year. I was allergic to everything. Uh, and it kept increasing and increasing. Um, and the funny thing is now my nose is a little bit more stuffed because I, whenever I travel, I notice that my immune system is not completely up to date with wherever I am. Something else may be blooming. So I'm in Berlin right now. I think it's a plantains or something. Something is like active and I notice, oh, I need to do some breath work. Anyway, the point is that I, um, it was like March or April. I noticed like, hey, this is interesting. Uh, my nose is starting to be a bit more stuffy again. My immune system is responding. I'm losing some energy. I want to change my breathing intervention. So what I started to do is um, do breathing techniques before bed. And this is not any specific technique. All I did was just really slow down and minimize my breathing as a practice before going to bed and focus on really activating the diaphragm. And also I do this diaphragm massage where I basically poke myself in the diaphragm and find the, the trigger points, releasing that. The cool thing was that because of my ring that I'm wearing, the aura ring, it does what you just said, heart rate, so resting heart rate, but also heart rate variability but also breathing rate because, and this is the cool thing, if you're sleeping, your peripheral circulation 
um, is more opened, so you're vasodilated, which means that your core temperature and your peripheral temperature are similar. But that also means that every time you breathe, you have vasodilation and constriction with your breathing. This happens all the time. So the ring can actually measure how fast you're breathing. So the cool thing was I started practicing with breath holds again, and I realized I saw my exhale breath hold increase, right? Because I'm measuring this with, I'm, I'm just holding an app and I'm like holding, uh, keeping uh, uh, track of this. I saw my breath hold, uh, exhale breath hold increase over a few weeks. And I saw my breathing rate during the night go down. I saw my deep sleep go up, my REM sleep go up, and my resting heart rate go down. And guess what? Four or five days into this practice, I didn't have the allergies when I woke up, right? And then maybe somewhere along the day or I'm outside or there's a new flower blooming, it starts up again. I'm not, oh, I need to do some work. Um, so this is such a cool thing to, to notice if you understand how the systems work and you have a tool to measure and you have an intervention that you can place there, you can actually see how all of this stuff plays together. And now it's like, you know, my, my breath hold exhale um, and my breathing rate during the night and, or my REM sleep, they're like my high score in the game of life. You know, like last night I had one hour, like 44 minutes REM sleep. And I'm like, boom, that's my high score of the week, you know, and it just makes things fun. Right. So uh, if we go into the different ways of managing your energy throughout the day with breathing, uh, I mean, if you look at the typical like um, 24 hours uh, from the moment when you wake up to the moment when you go to sleep, which is, by the way, the kind of the main topic and theme of Biker Summit on 1st and 2nd of November. So if people are interested to learn from Casper some of these breathing techniques, he's going to be running a workshop there and also a presentation that dives deeper into some of these topics. So if you find this exciting, you should definitely come. If you can't physically come, check out the live stream. You can just go to bikersummit.com and check out our new new event there now if you look at your typical day like um if you would describe on a on a general sense what breathing techniques do you usually do like if you have some routines in terms of breathing like do you so do something before maybe some morning yoga exercise uh, breakfast do you do something around lunchtime uh to help yourself digest are you doing something to regain energy if you feel like you're a bit fatigued um uh yeah so so Guide us through a little bit, like, uh, what are the conscious moments that are linked to breathing that you do? You just described some of the things related to pollen allergies and, and things, how you slow your breathing in the evening. So, so is there something else that you can kind of uh, give us in terms of your typical day uh, being a human being that breathes? A human being that breathes. Those are my favorite ones. Actually, some of my favorite ones also stop breathing, but that's a different story. The... Um, what I think what's important for me in the morning is to have a moment where I feel out the link between my heart rate and my breathing. So what I want, so when I wake up, first of all, I want to check my heart rate and I don't have to check it consciously. So uh, I can always find, even when I'm speaking to you now, I can feel what my heart rate is doing. I can hear it. And this is something that I've it, like, I wish it was like a really cool biohacking trick that I consciously learned, but as somebody who used to have really intense periods of anxiety, and so I had a heart rhythm issue, a heart arrhythmia, that is uh, not dangerous, but it is related, uh, like it amplifies with lifestyle issues. So when I was overweight and smoking and drinking and having like 12 espressos in a day, it was really amplified. And I've had many, many periods in my life where chronic hyperventilation and anxiety and even panic 
would be a part of my life. This is, I mean, I mean, the main reason that I know so much about the stress systems and the sympathetic systems is because I started studying that when I was like 14 and had my first big panic attack. And I was like, wait, how does this even work? I started looking through medical guides and shit like that. So um, I can always feel my heart rate. And I would definitely at the core level uh, suggest that people find a way to learn internally, not learn cognitively, but internally, the link between every breath and your heart rate. So because I was always like frantically paying attention to my heartbeat and what it was like, why is it speeding up? Why is it slowing down? What's happening? That's why I can always feel my heart rate. And now I use it as one of my most powerful tools to know how I'm doing. So, um, and how do you feel that? Like, uh, do you have some kind of wristband so that you feel it in your wrist? Is no, there like some it. technique? No, so there is a sense. So we think we have five or six senses. We have way more senses. Like for example, proprioception, which is knowing where your body is in space. So I can feel where my hand is, even though I can't see it, for example. Well, I can see it in the camera now. But, um, and then there's interoception. Interoception means awareness of, the, uh, of your internal body. So for example, um, no, like, do you know where your spine is? Most people don't know where their spine is. They can feel like, you know you have a spine, but you can't feel it. And in the same way, um, a lot of people are more aware of their gut. They have a better interoception of their gut because, you know, you digest food and you know how it feels. Um, a lot of bodybuilders have an amazing interoception because they can feel which muscle, muscles are activated or not. So they can kind of like go, oh, my right like outer hamstring is not fully activating. And they can just feel this because they've trained in front of the mirror, right? So they've trained for it. With the heart rate, it's the same thing. It's an interoception. It means that I am aware of what my heart is doing. I feel it here inside of my chest always. And I can feel it here and I can feel it in my head, depending on what I'm doing. Um, and I just, I'm always kind of in tune with, there's a few things to look for with the heart rate. It's, is it rhythmical? So is there an exact amount of time between each heart rate? And then you can ask, is it fast and rhythmical or is it slow and rhythmical? Whenever your heart rate is rhythmical, it means that your heart rate variability is relatively low. So variability means between your inhale and your exhale, your heart rate changes a little bit so there's not this very specific interval between every heartbeat so that is kind of the first thing to look for you sit you meditate you find your heart rate is it rhythmical okay it means that i'm not fully recovered this is also what your heart rate variability monitor whether it's your wristband or your ring or whatever tells you if it says low heart rate variability it says we have measured that you have a very rhythmical heart rate even though you are at rest so the cool thing is the link between breathing and so heart rate variability, by the way, described by Stephen Borges, who also is the, uh, the um, kind of the, the foundation layer of the polyvagal theory. Very, very important metric to know. Um, and I uh, just wanted to throw that fact out there. <laughs> heart rate variability is the most powerful way to measure whether your body is recovered and in what state you are. So that means that if you can internally find this, you can feel in which state you are and benchmark it with your breath. So if you do an inhale and then an exhale with awareness of your, and this is the kind of stuff that I do in like the breathing workshop and like I'll, I'll do the visceral experience at the biohacker summit with people. Um, and that uh, will, I can pretty quickly teach people how to do this in like a workshop setting. So you find your heart rate, you find the way that your breathing interacts with your heart rate. And that's kind of like my first morning thing to do. Um, like I, 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 I don't, I don't give short answers without biological explanations. Like just kind of my thing. I could have just said, 
exactly the thing that I do in like one minute, but I want to explain stuff. That's what I do. Um, so I lay there. I feel how am I breathing and my heart rate linked? If my heart rate, for example, does not respond to a change in breathing, that is a sure sign that my heart rate is staying up, even though I'm changing my breathing or it's staying the same, even though I'm changing my breathing, that is a sign that my nervous system is not in a resting state. If I wake up and I'm not in a resting state, it means I have work to do on my nervous system that day. Quick question. So when I breathe in, my heart rate should increase. And when I breathe out, my heart rate should, uh, I mean, the distance between heartbeats should uh, slow down. And when I do this consciously, if that's not happening, but I feel that my heart is beating like a metronome, that's when I'm not recovered. That's when my heart rate variability is low. And that's when I maybe need to consciously dial in a little bit of relaxation, extend my out breath and, uh, and find that variation again. Is that what's, what I should be doing, feeling? Yes. So, and based on that little test that I usually do, which is like an exhale hold and I feel how my heart respond. I do a few conscious breaths and feel how my heart respond. If I really can't get into that variable zone, uh, one of, generally one of my go-to tools is for the Wim Hof method because it's such a, like it has so much in there. Generally, if I do two or three rounds of, or even one or two rounds of very focused, conscious Wim Hof method breathing, after that, my heart rate will be variable. So I've given my nervous system almost like a reset and go like, okay, we're cool now. Also, based on that, I can determine internally what I love, the, the metric readiness that Aura Ring uses. So how ready am I for the day? Am I going to do a PR today or am I going to do light movement today? Am I going to do five hours of super intense focus work or am I just going to do my most important tasks of the day? I try to feel that out with breathing. You can't always have that choice, so you need some more tricks up your sleeve. So, okay, let's say I open my laptop, I start work, I take a deep breath and in every task that I switch, if I switch to another task, I do the same thing. <sighs> Sigh of relief at the end, wait. And that's like my conscious moment. So I have a moment of body awareness, a little breathing reset moment of a sigh and an exhale and it waits to make sure I don't rush with like half a mind into one thing and half a mind into the other thing. I switch tasks and I have breathing moment. I'll have the same thing before I turn on my camera. And as soon as I turn off this live show before checking people's responses or going straight into my next task, I have to sit down, close my eyes, do an exhale hold, feel my heart, get back to my body, and then think about the next thing. So I don't get stuck into a certain loop. Before I eat, and this is the great thing about intermittent fasting, is that you can easily be in like this flowy, half sympathetic, like awesome state for the whole morning, especially if you have your coffee or whatever. And then before you have your first meal, you need to realize, okay, my body needs parasympathetic, so I need to calm down my breathing. One thing I love to use is, for example, box breathing, such a simple protocol, or a four, seven, eight breathing uh, developed by Dr. Andrew Weil, which is just four seconds in, four, seven second hold, eight second count. And every time, like four or five times, and every time you do it, you can feel your heart rate slow down and you're going into this like more parasympathetic state. So when you, you go eat. for lunch, for example, you go for during, during a work day, you, you get some lunch. Um, so after that, um, Perhaps what you would recommend is not to run into a meeting immediately, 
where you stop reading, you're listening to the other person, you get maybe stressed about some deadlines and stuff like this, but you would give maybe an hour of conscious body presence, um, uh, which helps you to digest the food. Um, so oh, it's, it's, if you could get an hour, a walk, yeah. mm. amazing. If you have a normal, like a lot of people, they when I explain this stuff, they go like, well, Casper, some people have normal jobs. And part of me wants to say like, well, stop doing that. Normal jobs are killing people. <laughs> and on the other hand, I'm like, okay, cool. So instead of um, going for a half an hour nap and half an hour walk, which would be amazing for your system. And we should, I mean, in the modern world, we should live life, live life where we get half an hour for a nap and for a walk after lunch. I mean that, I mean, come on, what have we done all this technology for, right? Anyway, if you don't have that, do a breathing technique that slows down your breathing. Give yourself like a five minute meditation, a five minute breathing. Uh, like for example, box breathing is a great one to fire up after lunch because it has less of a parasympathetic response, but it is grounding and calming, but it keeps you awake. Right. Uh, and then get back into work. Right? So, so, um, so the Mediterranean people who, uh, and, and also Latin American people have siesta. So that's kind of a good practice to have is that you, you have a little break after lunch and maybe then you continue working in the evening i always kind of felt that oh, yeah. the eight to four schedule is unnatural for humans we try to cram in a lot of sympathetic nervous system activation into that time period while we should stretch it out so that we have more balanced moments of parasympathetic activation than sympathetic activation um meeting friends maybe in the middle of the day even uh, who are not related to work get your mind out so even though they seem they are kind of uh you know, manana, they still are, are kind of uh, uh, putting a lot of hours in uh, in terms of the day, uh, but they're evening it out a little bit to, to have a better balance. Yeah. And I mean, um, I think that's such a healthy thing. The siesta is such, such a healthy thing. And also, uh, I was reading uh, the book Why We Sleep, and he actually makes a very powerful point as to why the biphasic sleep pattern so having two sleep moments in a day is so natural and is so common and is so good for us right it gives us access to so many things so i definitely nap like my whenever people go like what's your favorite biohack i go napping and then people always laugh but the ability to lay down for 10 minutes so i've i've had to train this i've had to get good at this and within 10 minutes go into even two or three minutes of a nap and just kind of and your brain clears up i mean I could go into like hours of explaining what happens, but it's so good for you. Mm. And so, so, get, so, get into the nap. so in short, like what would be your hack in terms of uh, taking a nap? Like what, what are you doing? Um, I'm personally, so, I'm using a spike mat. I'm using noise canceling headphones. I'm blocking out light with a eye mask. Uh, I'm doing some breathing techniques and I also get under a red light um, to, to yeah. get that therapeutic dose. So, so what's your protocol? That, but uh, if I nap during the day, I try to nap without the eye mask under the red light. Uh, for some reason, if I nap without the eye mask, I get a bit less into a, a deeper sleep, but it, I, I wake up much more energized. It's like my body knows like, okay, we're chilling out, we're napping, but it's not nighttime, um, which is re really helpful for me. If I need a longer nap, I do that. I also make sure that my nap is no more than 20 minutes because within 20 minutes, you still have your light part of the sleep cycle. You don't want to go into deep. But be, so I basically have spike mat, red light in an ideal setting, of course. Um, and sometimes I have binaural beats, which I like to add to it. Um, and then 
on the spike mat, I do four or five rounds of that four, seven, eight breathing that I just said, because uh, that's kind of like my sleeping pill. And I mainly use four, seven, eight before I do a nap or sleep, because I also want to train my brain to have the association that as soon as I do that breathing technique, like that is my go-to thing for sleep. So four, seven, eight, I also do before I uh, go to sleep. And um, if I don't, and the cool thing is now, if I don't have my napping protocol, like I'm traveling or whatever, I can just lay on a hard floor under a desk, like in an airport. I don't give a shit. I do naps anywhere. <laughs> like I even yeah. in an airplane, I will lay down. I, I know it's like, it's forbidden and everything. And it, it usually gives me four minutes of laying down on the floor before somebody comes in. So, sir, please go back to your seat. But those four minutes are already gold for me just to be able to lay down fully. And yeah. I've gotten really good at napping because I've trained my brain. Like I go into four, seven, eight breathing and I can bring my spike net or my red light device or all the other stuff, but I always have my breath with me. Right. So I right. Yeah. I also use cues to get myself into that state. And I usually use, uh, spend time on airplanes to, to not to read or do work. I, I really use that for napping. And uh, I th- it seems like a lot of biohackers are kind of conscious about this. I remember Ben Greenfield in every single biohacker summit that he's been to, he somehow like in the middle of the day, he finds a place to nap and he's done that everywhere. Like, um, and, and he said to me that he, he's been doing that without, without compromise for such a long time. And it just dials in like 15, 20 minutes of a nap and he's back and uh, fully yeah. functioning. I like to do these longer naps, like uh, one and a half hour, like 90 minute ones, uh, if I'm sleep deprived or if I've gone through a lot of new stuff that I uh, need to somehow integrate quickly, like learning something new. And uh, that's when I take a bigger bigger break and it seems to help definitely to refresh my brain and even get back to what I was uh, struggling to learn. Oh, so, yeah. And this is the type of stuff mm-hmm. that pisses, pissed me off when I was in education because I was like, I was reading all these studies about the learning brain. Like in many ways, it's better to do an hour and a half of studying and then an hour and a half of sleeping than three hours of studying, depending on which state you're in. But in general, that's just better. Just like practice, you can better practice 40 minutes in the morning and 40 minutes in the afternoon, have a nap in between, then do a full day of practice. And I was looking at all, like, so on one side, there's all these studies on how the brain works, how learning works, how to optimize the learning curve, all of this stuff. And then there's, you know, the education system and they hardly ever meet. Like there's hardly anything that goes on in, in modern classrooms that is actually functional. And we have all the science to back it up and the learning brain has been studied so well. Anyway, yes. I, could, I could go on. about Yeah, that absolutely. And we could have a ch- another chat about the education side, because I also was in the field of education for 10 years before getting into biohacking fully. And it always kind of... Uh, uh, intrigued me that all these educational conferences, they talk about all kinds of learning methods and pedagogic models and all that. But in the end, what really makes your body uh, learn uh, and build those new connections and all of that, it seems like it's all in reverse and it's, uh, it's, it's not even discussed fully um, yeah. what, what, what should be done if you really want to learn effectively um, how to really exercise your body to to exercise your mind and, and hold that whole body mind connection and breathing and, you know, napping and all of that and posture, everything. That's seems to be a side thing in a, in a behavioristic world where we t- try to feel people like empty containers. But anyway, we're kind of getting into the end of this. And I know you're in Berlin and you, you probably want to enjoy the day also and do something else. So um, uh, what people can learn 
a biohacker summit from you if they come over. So I'm going to take them through a day and basically find the challenges in a day. Um, challenges that people know very well. So waking up and not being able to wake up or waking up and being too awake and not being able to relax, right? Needing your five espressos to wake up. A very popular one recently that I found is coming home from work and not being able to engage with your family because you're in this like zombie mode because you come out of work. So uh, being in bed, not being able to sleep, being at the office, like being in bed, not being able to sleep, worrying about work, being at work, thinking about wanting to sleep, not being able to do work. Like your state's not next, matching up with the action that you need from yourself, with the function that you need from your system. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take uh, them through in the lecture, I'm going to take them through a day and explain how the nervous system produces energy throughout the day and how we can use breathing to support our nervous system throughout the day to have more energy. Um, and then in the breathing workshop, we'll go through a session where we practice, basically. And we go through a lot of practice and just without explaining a lot, just practice, practice, experiencing many different states through breathing, which I'll guide with live music, with the handpan. Um, which is going to be, uh, which is, yeah, like kind of like space out on breathing. So lots of cool stuff. Um, also, I'll just be there to hang out. And if you uh, want to ask me a question and run the risk of me answering in a very elaborate way, <laughs> then uh, yeah, it's just fun hangout. I'm really, look, really, really, really looking forward to, to the BioRecord Summit. Yeah. It's going to be absolute highlight. Yeah, you've been there several times and uh, uh, your presentation always highly rated. So I'm, I'm glad you're there again. So, so with that, I mean, um, thank you very much for sharing um, uh, such a vast <laughs> amount of knowledge about breath and physiology and how to manage stress in your day in such a short time. Um, and anyone who listens online, we're editing this out. There was a little uh hiccup in the stream but we will recover that so you in the recording you will hear the whole thing so with that i mean thank you very much for casper and uh, so if you want to follow casper on uh, social media uh, just check check out casper's focus on instagram and i guess mindlift.com is that the website yes amazing so thank you very much and enjoy berlin and i'm really looking forward to meeting you this autumn again Absolutely, man. Thanks. Have Cheers. a great day. You as well.